0: Amen. Matthew chapter seven. Let's read starting in verse one. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, Jesus had a sense of humor. And sometimes he would use exaggerations to make his point, like logs and specks. And he uses an analogy to talk about, about being judgmental. You know, about 17 years ago, Brother Francis and I went to a church growth conference. And uh, it was put on by George Barna, which is kind of like the Gallup poll of the Christian circles. And he was he's always faithful to just try to get a pulse on what's happening in the churches, what's happening in the nation and reporting to the churches. Hey, this is this is what we see going on. And it helps pastors to to try to, you know, uh, deal with the issues of the culture so that we can continue to lead in a healthy way. But they did a survey at this time. Uh, this was probably 17 years ago. And the con- the presenters at the conference shared some results of a survey they did, and they went out into the into the public and specifically asked non-church-going people. They asked them this question: "In your view and opinion, what is the difference between Christians and non-Christians? Well, how do you answer that? What's the difference?" And and uh, there were two top answers, and the first one was this: Christians normally attend church. On a regular basis versus non-Christians. Okay? That's true of some. And then the second thing is that Christians are much more judgmental than non-Christians. Wow, what an indictment, right? And so it's interesting that many non-Christian people view Christians as being very judgmental people. And, uh, being judgmental is a common problem in our society, right? But it wasn't, it's not just a common problem today. It's been since the New Testament time. That's why Jesus addressed it in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, I think why, why do we become so judgmental? Well, I, you know, I think we have an advantage. We have discernment. We have the Holy Spirit that illuminates and causes us to see things that the world doesn't see. So we do see clearer than non-church or non-Christians do. But sometimes, though we see clearer, it tends to make us critical and judgmental and causes us to have the wrong attitude. And so Jesus says, look, if you really want your life to be blessed, you need to deal with this judgmental attitude. And so he says in verse 1, do not judge that you will not be judged. So Jesus didn't suggest that we not judge. He commanded us that we not judge. Amen? Now, do not judge so that you will not. What does it mean to be judgmental? Well, does it mean we can't judge between good and evil? That we can't say, no, that's wrong, that's right? No, because Jesus encouraged us to judge righteously. The Bible says, John 7, 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So the same Bible that says not to judge says we should judge with righteous judgment. To be judgmental, does that mean we can't judge between truth and error? Between good and bad Bible teachers and ministries? That we should accept everything and anything. Is that what does it mean? No. Jesus encouraged us to beware of false teachers and wrong ministries. In chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus said this, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, figs from thistles. Are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, not everybody that calls themselves a prophet is a prophet. Not everybody that has a business card that says I'm a bishop is a bishop. Come on, are y'all with me out there? And so he says, beware, there are some people that are going to call themselves prophets. Watch yourselves, because they are a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's what he said, didn't he? He said, there's a son who will appear like innocent sheep, but inside they are wolves. They are wolves. And he said, the way you tell the difference between the truth and error, the good and the bad ministries, is you judge them by their fruit. Amen? Jesus encouraged us to discern and to test the spirit of ministries and teachers. You know, in class, in the first class we do, in the growth class, we say, listen, just because somebody puts a steeple on a church doesn't mean it's good. Just because somebody says, I'm a Bible teacher, doesn't mean it's good. Amen? The Bible says in 1 John 4, it says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Do you know there's false prophets in Lafayette? You might be surprised by that. But I think there are. Where are they? I don't know, but I know they're out there. So listen, so what does judgmental mean? Does it mean, does being judgmental mean we can't call sin, sin in the church? Is that what it means? You can't, no brother, you can't say that's wrong. That's judgmental. What does it mean? Paul encourages us to call sin, sin in the church. Listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians 5, 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Now, let me stop to say he's writing to the church, not to the world. And he says, I wrote to you my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with immoral people of this world or with covetous and swindlers or with idolaters. For then you will have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. If he is an immoral person, covetous or an idolater, a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. Wow. When's the last time you heard a sermon on this passage of scripture? Verse 12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Wow. Wow. Should we pray? Paul asked the question, do you not judge those who are within the church? Paul says that our job is not to judge those outside the church. That's God's job. Our job is to judge those in the church. Wow. Man, that's sobering. Yeah. Yeah. And he was dealing with immorality in the church. There was sin going on. And he said, you better deal with it. And so now people say, I don't want to go to a judgmental church that doesn't allow me to practice my lifestyle. Well, who are we going to try to please? Paul warns and instructs us how to do this. In Galatians 6, 1, he says, dear brothers, if a Christian is overcome by some sin you who are godly should gently and humbly help them back onto the right path, remembering that the next time it might be one of you who's in the wrong. Paul says you you who are godly should gently and humbly help people get on the right track. And remember the next time it might be you that's going to be getting the correction. So whenever you do it, Do it in a way you would want it done to you. Right? Come on, are y'all out there? So according to the scripture, we can judge certain people, circumstances, and situations. So what kind of judging is Jesus condemning here? When he says, don't judge. Jesus, I believe, is dealing with the supercritical, extremely harsh, fault-finding person. Amen? Those who love pointing out other people's mistakes... Shortcomings and failures. Those who are constantly questioning people's motives, the harsh, the unmerciful, that's who I think he's dealing with right here. Wouldn't you agree? So I believe Jesus is condemning the self-righteous, prideful spirit that looks down their nose at everybody else and sets them up, themselves up as superior to everybody else. Would you agree that that's probably what he's dealing with here? So why does Jesus encourage us to deal with our judgmental spirit? Verse one, he says, don't judge so you will not be judged for in the way you judge, you will be judged and by your standard of measure it will be measured to you. So Jesus encourages us to deal with our judgmental spirit because it's going to hurt us personally. How many of you know that that's, you know, there's two reasons why we shouldn't judge First one is because others will tend to judge us just like we judge them. And sometimes it don't come from the same people. We judge this person and then all of a sudden we get hit behind the head by a judgmental spirit from somebody else. And we say, why are they attacking me? Well, it might be because I'm attacking somebody else. Come on, that's good preaching right there, huh? Even though, you know, I, isn't that true? I mean, that's a word, right? And so listen. Life, you're if you're extremely critical and you're always looking for the dirt. You know what's going to happen is people going to be tend to be critical towards you and people are going to tend to look for all the dirt in your life. That's what's, you know, how many of you know life tends to pay back in the same coin we pay? Right. So why shouldn't we judge? Who wants to be judged? Oh, I love to be judged, man. I can't wait to get judged. Who wants to line up for that? Nobody likes to get judged. And he says, listen, you don't like it. Why go around doing it to other people? Amen. So the first reason we should deal with a judgmental spirit is because we will tend to get the same judgment back. But the other reason is because... God will tend to judge us in the same way we judge other people. Now, that's a really, that's a really bad part right there, right? How many, of you, how many of you want to be judged by God? You know, any takers? I can't wait to be judged. So listen, it's the law of sowing and reaping. And this is what the Bible says. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. And so if you want to receive harshness and severe judgment from God, how many of you glad of God's mercy? Oh, man, how many are grateful for his kindness? If you want to receive harshness and severe judgment from God, then extend harshness and severe judgment to others. If you want to receive mercy and grace from God, extend mercy and grace to others. Amen. That's what he's saying. And, you know, remember the parable he told about the Pharisee and the tax collector? I want to read it because it's a very pointed truth that amplifies this point. In Luke 18 and 9, he says he told the parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God. I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I'm a faster. I tithe of all that I get. Even my herbs, I'll give 10% of it away. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, wasn't even willing to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Wow. The Pharisee stood before God judging the tax collector instead of judging himself. The tax collector stood before God judging himself instead of judging the Pharisee. Who do we come to church to judge? Our neighbor or ourself? Come on. Right? Who received mercy? The Pharisee or the tax collector? The tax collector received the mercy. But he wasn't judging the Pharisee. Don't you think he could have said something to God about this dude? Man, God, that unloving, harsh, hard. I'm sure there's something he could have told God about the Pharisee, right? But he didn't do it. He just dealt with himself. So it was the judgmental Pharisee who was judged by God and didn't receive God's mercy and forgiveness. The tax collector went away justified. The Bible says one day we're all going to face the judgment seat of Christ. Right? And we're going to have to give an account for our life. And how we judge, we're going to be judged. I'm going to be hoping God has a good day whenever you get there. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Amen. He said, don't judge. Are you going to be judged? But, you know, I don't think it's just like, you know, judgment on that day. I think it's like, you know, hey, you don't want to be merciful? I'm going to turn you over to the tormentors. I think it has something to do with the judgment here and now. You know, so what's the key to overcoming a judgmental spirit? How do we get over this? You know, once again, Jesus, he, he, he brings up a problem. He, he points it out and says, this is a problem. But he says, no, here's the solution. And he gives us the solution. So in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 3, he says, why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So now, the key to overcoming a judgmental spirit, I believe, Jesus says we need to focus more on our own faults than other people's faults. I think that's the key. And verse verse 3 says, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye. So in other words, our focus is out here instead of out here, right? That's what he's saying. So Jesus said, we need to worry more about what's in here than what's out there. How many of you know that's a full-time job right there? Right? Unless you're self-righteous and you don't think you need to do that. But the reality is, We all need to. And so four things that happen when we focus on our own faults instead of focusing on other people's faults. Number one, we begin to examine our own hearts, which is a full-time job that will keep us from trying to straighten other people out. Come on. How many of you notice that you just get one thing going right in your life and all of a sudden something else comes out of kilter? And, you know, some you dealt with five years ago and you thought, praise God, man, I finally overcame. And then you wake up one day and it showed up again. Come on, are y'all with me out there? Come on. I mean, this is a full-time job watching over our heart, isn't it? It's a full-time job dealing with our own lives. And he says, that's really what you ought to do. And it won't give you a whole lot of extra time to be dealing with other people's problems. And so the other thing is, when we focus on our own faults, number two is we begin to feel a sense of humility and repentance, realizing we have our own sins and issues to deal with. If we'll be honest with ourselves and take the time to say, okay, Todd, are you perfect? And y'all answer is, how do y'all know that? Y'all don't know me. How do y'all know I'm not perfect? Well, we talk to Tanya, you know. But we know that, right? None of us are perfect, right? So listen, when we begin to really look at our own life, man, it's like, God, goodness, man, I am not the godly person that people may think that I am, right? I mean, the Bible says that our heart is deceitful. It's sick. And so when we begin to feel... When we begin to look at our own issues, it gives us a sense of humility and repentance. God, have mercy on me. Forgive me. Right? And then the other thing is that it creates the possibility of our life being changed now when we focus on ourselves. How many of you know focus on other people won't change me? It'll hurt me. It won't change me for the better. But if I focus on me, there's a possibility that my life can get better, become better off. Amen. So it's more positive. It's more of an advantage for me to focus on my own issues than the focus on everybody else's. Boy, this is a great message, isn't it? (laughs) Man. Goodness gracious. And then you got to live what you preach, right? And so number four, it positions us to, it positions ourselves to help other people out when we focus on our own. Because Jesus said, you hypocrite, you know, a hypocrite is a stage player. It's an actor. You know, an actor, they play a part, but they're really not that part. They're just playing that part. Then after they get done with work, they go home, and then they're the real person. A hypocrite is somebody that plays two parts. And so he's saying, don't play two parts, like one in church or one around Christians and another one when you're around heathen, be the same person in church and out of church. Don't be a hypocrite, right? And so he says, he says, don't be a hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So our main focus in life should be the first take the log out of our own eye. Then we can see clear, clearly enough to take the speck out of somebody else's eye. You know, who takes instruction from somebody that's ultra, ultra judgmental and critical? Nobody will, nobody wants to take instruction because the instruction comes in such a, a powerful way that you can't even receive it. It's just like, man, I can't hear you because you're shouting too loud. Come on, are y'all with me? But then somebody else can tell you that and say it with a gentle, tender, compassionate way. And you say, really? Well, I just told you that same thing. Yeah, but you said it at the top of your voice. They're saying it in a different way. And so whenever we deal with our own issues and we allow ourselves to to work on our own lives, what it does is it positions us in a place of humility and it puts us in a place where we can First of all, see better, because we ain't got that log standing in our way. And we could see stuff, but we'll address it in a very humble, tender way and help other people. And that's what we want to do, right, saints, is help other people. So why is it the world says the church is so judgmental? I think it's because we take our booming Bibles and says, you know, the Bible says, you know, you know and they like, "Oh my lord, get me a medic, I'm bleeding," right? And so the Bible says, "Speak truth, but speak truth in love." Right? Who glory. Oh. oh. <laughs> Man. This is tough stuff right here, right? This is tough stuff. Man, Jesus you know, you read the Sermon on the Mount, and you're just like, yeah, that was good stuff. But when you read it, it's tough stuff, right? I mean, it'll clean your plow, as Brother Francis would say. It'll clean your plow, right? So so the key to overcoming a judgmental spirit is first focusing more on our own faults than focusing on other people. And what happens is we don't have time to be looking for dirt in other people because we got a full-time job right here, amen? But the second key to overcoming a judgmental spirit is to strive to live an honest, humble, and transparent walk before the Lord. You know, it's like, Lord, I want, I don't want to be judgmental. How many of you would today would say, would agree with me, you don't want to be judgmental? Come on, are y'all with me? This is a question and answer time. How many of you would say, I don't want to be judgmental? That's you, right? We we don't want to be judgmental. We have a tendency to be judgmental, but we don't want to be judgmental. So how do we deal with the issue? Well, I think we need a desire to strive. Lord, I want an honest heart. I want a humble heart. I want a transparent heart and walk before you, Lord. Because I know that's what you want. How many of you know that you can want to do the right thing, but if you're not having the grace of God flowing in your life, you can't do the right thing. Amen? Amen? You know, honest. First John 1.8 says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. You know, so listen. Did you know that we all have planks? We all have logs in our life. We all have issues. Amen. 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 Come on. Can I get you to affirm that we all have issues? Amen. Come on. I'm going to have to get the spouses to help us if we don't acknowledge it. Or our children, right? We all have issues, so we need to be honest. You know, Romans 2, 1 says this. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. You who judge, practice the same things. He says, man, you criticize other people. You know, you say this about them, but you're guilty of the same thing. You don't see it like I see it, but I see it in your life, the Lord says. So we don't have a right. Paul says the very thing we judge others for, we're guilty of doing. And it's very, it's very natural, normal, that we tend to criticize in other people the very thing that we have an issue with in our life. And so we need to deal with it. We need to be, we need to be honest. We need to be humble. First Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil. Insult with insult. But with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. We inherit a blessing whenever we walk humbly with God. And we don't repay evil for evil. And we're compassionate. And we're not judgmental and critical and harsh and hard. God blesses us for that. Amen? And then, and then we live in harmony. We have peace in our life. There's not conflict all the way around us. And then we need to live transparent. Remember the psalmist whenever he sinned, uh, David, whenever he sinned with Bathsheba, committed uh, adultery and actually participated in murdering Uriah. And he says in Psalm 51, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. You desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit, a steadfast spirit within me. That was, that was the psalmist, that was David's response whenever he blew, blown it. And he said, Lord, I know you desire truth in the inward parts. How I many of you know the Lord wants us to be honest, transparent. He wants us to be, He wants us to come clean. Isn't that right, saints? And you know, why is it that we have this tendency to focus more on other people's issue while Jesus said a plank and a speck? A plank and a speck. He's saying, you're looking at, you can barely see the little dirt on them. And you're pointing that out. And you got this honking board in your life. And you won't even acknowledge, you got this board going on in your life. It's like, come on. Come on. Look at the board. But you know what? It's our natural tendency not to self-evaluate. As uh, Dudley calls it, Uh, what does he call it? Given us our, our self-inventory. You know, inventorying ourself. You know, you got this problem, you got this problem, you got this problem. We want to inventory somebody else. Mr. A, you got this problem, you got... It's, it's funner inventorying you. It's not so much fun when I inventory myself. But we have this tendency to inventory other people instead of inventorying ourself. And the Lord says, man, if you will inventory yourself and let me deal with your heart... There's no limitations to what I might do in your life. There's no possibilities. There's nothing without reach. I will bless you. I will favor you. I will grace you. Just take my counsel, walk in it. And I'm telling you, you're going to be glad you did. And you're going to go from blessing to blessing, from glory to glory. You're going to enjoy the abundant life. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's close in prayer? Randy said, don't stop. I had enough of this. How about you? (laughs) This is enough to work on for a lifetime right here, right? Oh, come on. Let's pray together. Let's let's ask the Lord to help us today. There's nobody in this room that this message doesn't touch. I I don't want to even teach it because it's just like, my goodness, right? Oh, come on, let's ask the Lord. God, we need your mercy. You know, the reality is we can't even do this on our own, saints. We can't even do this on our own. We can't change our own heart. We can't change our own life. We need the grace of God. You know what the, you know what the purpose of the Word of God is? Is to get us to the place where we realize we can't live the standard of God without the grace of God without that. You know, you know what? It's the word of God is designed to push us to the cross and say, you need God in your life. Come on. How many of you have a sense of needing God in your life right now? Come on. How many of you have a sense? God, I need your life. Lord, I talk about other people and their issues, but God, I got a whole bunch of my own. I got my own issues to deal with. Come on. Let's cry out and let's ask God, Lord, have mercy on us today. God, release your grace on us today. Lord, God, I pray touch every heart today. Lord, God, give us, break that critical fault-finding spirit off of us. Lord, break self-righteousness, break pride and arrogance. Lord, break everything that you need to break off our lives so that we can be the reflection of who you want us to be. Lord Jesus, we need you today. We love you today. We're crying out for your help today. Jesus, come. And transform us. Give us a new spirit, Lord. Give us a new heart, Lord. God, help us. Help us, Lord. Help us to overcome a judgmental, critical, fault-finding, harsh spirit. You know, you might be here today and you say, Todd, I'm not even a Christian yet. I'm at church, but I don't even know that I'm even going to heaven I don't even know if I'm gonna pass the judgment or whether I'm gonna be judged and thrown away from the, from the presence of God. But today, I want my heart to be clean. I want my heart to be purified. I want my sins washed away. I want to live uprightly before God. I need prayer. If that's you today, you say, I wanna, I wanna be saved. I wanna be a Christian. If that's you, raise your hand. Come on, just bow your head and just say this with me. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you shed your blood for me so that my sins could be forgiven. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that our sin, I need forgiveness. Lord Jesus, would you extend mercy towards me? Would you forgive me, Lord, for all the wrong, all the bad that I've done in my life? I'm sorry, and I'm asking for your forgiveness. Clean my heart. Give me a new heart. Fill me with Your Spirit so that I might live for You and bring glory to You all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.